Pray with me. Father, how grateful we are to come together this morning and to be a part of this baptism ordinance and to see these two be baptized. We're grateful, Father, for the testimonies we heard Wednesday night. We're grateful, Father, to have observed, as Ron said, your work in their lives. And God, we praise you that you do change people. That there's a point in time when we were not your people, but Christ comes and redeems us and we become your people. And we who were far off are brought near and from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And God, while it is a transformation that is ongoing until the time when we see Christ. God, we're grateful that it has begun and that it cannot be undone. For every person who's in Christ Jesus will be brought to completion. God, we praise you that there are so many here this morning who can testify of your saving grace. And that while there's so much we wish were different about us, that that we were further along on this path than we are. God, we can also say we are not what we were. And it's to the glory of Christ Jesus that that is true. God, we pray that you would stir our hearts this morning to give you the glory due your name. And we pray, God, that your spirit would come near and work in the hearts of those who are still strangers to you. And God, bring them into your kingdom as well. Help us this morning, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Hebrews 11:32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Therefore, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners 
against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to uh, point your attention this morning to the idea of enduring with joy. Enduring with joy. Christ endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. In Philippians 4.4, we have a wonderful command that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And we certainly have many reasons to rejoice. Uh, The hymn writer put it this way. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like thee his praise should sing? And when we stop and think of those realities, surely you have reason to rejoice. But life is not always easy. There are hard things, hard times. Unless we excuse ourselves in the hard times, we also have the command in James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials. That kind of command would seem absolutely insane. If you did not know God. But James is not insane. He instructs us in how to properly respond to trials. Knowing that there will always be. The very real temptation to respond improperly. When trials come. There is a way that the believer is to respond So as to profit from trials and to glorify God. But if we don't respond properly, we can crumble under the pressure of trials. And if we don't just, you know, just just fall apart, we could also, I suppose, endure in such a way that like it's, it's hanging on. But it says to everybody around me, I'm miserable in this thing that I can't get out of. And it gives the idea that God is so unfair and unkind to me. But James doesn't talk that way. And neither does the writer of Hebrews. We are getting to Hebrews in a moment. James argues that we're to consider it all joy. But how can he command us to be joyful? Well, first, he tells us to consider it all joy because the testing of your faith produces something. It produces endurance. The idea of testing is the idea of the process of refining something through fire, refining silver or gold. It's the the crucible of suffering that purifies faith. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise And glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So consider it all joy. You're being tested. The product of that testing responded to correctly should be endurance. You meet it with faith and you endure. The idea of endurance here is is the idea of remaining under something. It's to carry a load for a long time. You, You can't get rid of this load. And so you bear up under it. The idea seems to be that trials are training us to exercise faith and to sustain faith. It's producing spiritual fortitude, spiritual toughness, we might say, or spiritual grit. 
This is not something you produce. So there's no reason to be proud about it. There's no source of pride here. It's the product of God's work in you as you respond to him in faith and endure. And that is the result of trials and a reason for joy. But he doesn't stop there. There's something else being produced beyond endurance, a further result when we do endure. Verse 4 of James 1 says, Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So you meet the trials with joy and faith and you endure. But there's more to be gained here than just endurance. What else is to be gained is gained through endurance. You won't get to what else is there unless you do endure. If you endure, then you can reach this perfect result, this desired end. What is it? Well, God is producing in us something that we stand in need of. Endurance's perfect result is that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word perfect here can be translated a number of ways. It includes the idea of maturity. You will grow into maturity. You will grow into something that you were not before. But it also includes the idea of rounding out your character in ways in which you presently lack. So you, know, you lack endurance. Trials come, you endure, you grow in endurance. And there's one way, but there are other ways also. And so it's the rounding out of a character. And the end result of it all is that you become complete, lacking in nothing. But it's not the trial that produces the maturity The trial gives you the opportunity to respond by faith and endure. And it's the enduring that leads to the maturity. What kind of trials? Well, James says in verse 2, various trials. Consider it joy. Consider it joy because when trials come, they are God's appointed means to bring you to completion through endurance. Joy then is a response of faith. The trial comes. There may be much about it that I don't understand. But I do understand that I have a loving Heavenly Father, that He's at work, and He means this for my good, and He's working to bring me to completion. He's promised this, hasn't He? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So for us to fail to meet our trials with joy at the fact that God's at work to accomplish his designed end in me is to meet the trial with unbelief. It's disobedience to the stated command. Consider it all joy. That may be more easily said than done. So how do you consider it all joy? And I think Hebrews helps us with that. There are somewhat similar situations in the book of James and in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews writes to people who, facing severe persecution, are tempted, chapter 12, verse 3, to 
grow weary and lose heart. He encourages them there. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. They're, in, they're tempted to do just that. If you turn back to chapter 10. Verse 35. There. The writer says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And then he warns him in verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You stand in need of this. And then in verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So here are people facing trials, tempted to draw back, tempted to not endure. You have need of endurance. Don't shrink back. We're not of the people who shrink back. And then in chapter 11 and verse 1, he gives us a definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And immediately he begins laying out examples. Here's what faith looks like. Here's what faith looks like. Here's what faith looks like. Here are examples of people who, by the testimony of God, faithfully endured trials. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And on down through chapter 11. Then we get to chapter 12 and verse 1. And what are we being told? You say, consider it all joy, endure, don't shrink back. How can I know that there is value in enduring? How can I know that, I, that, that there's any value in running this race to the end or that anyone can even complete this race? It seems so difficult at times. How can I know there is a finish line? Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This great cloud of witnesses, as they are described here, it's the crowd from Hebrews chapter 11, along with saints who have since passed away, they are not merely observers watching the race. They're not sitting in the grandstand, you know, watching the race. They are finishers. They are those who've already crossed the finish line. They have endured to the end. And they stand there giving witness or testifying to the fact that you can, by faith in God, respond to trials and endure to the end. So the emphasis is not on what the witnesses see here. The emphasis is on what we see. See this cloud of witnesses. They finish the course. And you be encouraged to run. Here are those who, like Abraham, endured testing. Here are those like Moses who endured abuse. And here are others who endured all kinds of indignities. We just read about it in verses 35 through 38. People sawn in half, mocking, scourgings, destitute, living in holes in the ground. 
And they endured it all. And how did they endure it? By faith. By faith. And what is God's estimate of them? Verse 38. Men of whom the world was not worthy. The writer of Hebrews encourages you and I to run aware of these witnesses and encouraged by their example to not shrink back, to not dawdle, but to cast off everything that would hinder and to run. And then aware of this multitude, we don't stare at the multitude. The multitude is kind of in our peripheral vision. But there's another place that we're to fix our gaze. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I think there's a bit of a parallel here, if you'll indulge me for just a second. James says, count it all joy, or have joy. Jesus for the joy set before him. James considered all joy when these trials come and endure. Jesus has joy and he endures for the joy set before him. James, when you do endure, the end result is completion. Jesus finishes the course enduring and he sits down. He's done. James tells us to consider it all joy. And so he gives us the command, if you will. Consider it. You, when trials come, consider it joy. But then the writer of Hebrews, in a sense, tells us how. By fixing your eyes on Jesus. And so kind of the big idea that I'd like to impress upon you this morning is this. The believer is enabled to joyfully Endure trials by fixing his eyes on Jesus. If you're outside of Christ, this doesn't help you a lot. You can look to Christ and come to him. But I'm talking right now to the believer, the person who's in Christ Jesus. You are enabled to joyfully endure trials, not because it's easy, not because you find some sick pleasure in in hurting, but because you fix your eyes on Christ who himself has endured And completed the course. Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Verse 2 says. Now I think the writer of Hebrews is, is doing this. He's writing to saints who are weary in their trials. Who are threatened with despair. And he points to the witnesses. This great cloud of witnesses. As evidence of others who testify of having endured. But then he points To the one who makes endurance possible. Christ has run to completion. He has finished. He has sat down. Fix your eyes there. See him. Now. Is it helpful to you. In your own thinking. Is it helpful to you. To think. Christ ran his race with joy. He endured the cross with joy. Does that help you endure with joy? Now, right here, you probably understand the answer is yes, it does. So maybe you're, yes, it does. 
But then when trials come, does it help you? It should. But you might be tempted to think, now wait a minute, I understand Christ ran his race with great joy and he endured and he completed the course and he sat down. But come on, he's Jesus after all. He is the God man with the emphasis on God, right? He's deity. And you can't really expect me to follow him in the circumstances I'm dealing with now as if yours are somehow greater than his or when he commands you to follow him, he doesn't really mean it. Is it reasonable to say that because Jesus is deity, he didn't really mean for me to follow him? No, it's not. Disciples are, by definition, followers. We follow him. And if that's not clear enough, Peter, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes and says, Christ gave you an example to follow. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Christ has left us an example. And the very context in which he tells us. Here's the example that you're to follow. Is in the context of suffering. He suffered. Here's how he suffered. Follow me. And so we cannot use the excuse. That because he's God. Somehow we don't get to follow him. In this way of suffering. Suffering comes. Well now I'm on my own. Over there when things are easy. Yes I follow him. But now it's hard. I don't have to follow him. No. Here's my example. Follow me. I didn't revile. I didn't utter curses. Follow me. But what about joy? I mean, you could just keep your mouth shut, right? And not really be joyful. What about in emotions? Are you commanded to follow Christ even in your emotions? Well, to the degree that you can control them, yes. Christ doesn't revile. He doesn't revile in return while suffering. He utters no threats. In fact, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He takes care of his mother. Hebrews 12 says he faced it with joy. The writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him. He specifically uses the name Jesus, not the Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus, I believe, 
to emphasize the humanity of Christ right here. The man, Christ Jesus, faced the cross with joy, with all the emotions that a human has. Christ Jesus faces the cross with joy. Jesus, if we say that that what he did in his living and his obedience to the Father it is facing the cross with joy. If we assign all of that to the fact that he is God, then we do provide ourselves with this big excuse, don't we? How can I possibly follow? Because I am not God. But he takes on flesh. And he obeys the Father by faith. And he faces the cross with joy Depending upon the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And so he looks to the Father by faith and entrusts himself to the Father. So Jesus runs his race the same way we must run our race. And the same way the saints of Hebrews 11 ran their race. By faith. The difference is one of degrees. It's not one of kind. We must run by faith. Christ ran by faith. Have you ever watched somebody kind of find themselves in a a spot where pressure is being applied? And maybe they hold it together for a minute, but then they just erupt and they... They respond in such an inappropriate way. I don't just mean the words of their mouth, but just like the emotional response is out of proportion to everything else that's going on. She's laughing because we live with that. Um, do you maybe maybe you have done that? I mean, probably you have. Christ Jesus never erupted. With an inappropriate response. Not, thoughts, words, emotions. The, the words that he said were not only the right words. But the way he said it was always right. Never too much emphasis. Never not enough emphasis. When he responded with anger. It was a righteous anger. It was not too much anger. It was not too little anger. And when he was gentle. It was always the appropriate amount of gentleness. It was always what it should be. It had to be for him to be undefiled. Right? But. All of that still was a response of faith as he trusts himself to the Father and he depends upon the Spirit. Christ experiences temptation to a degree that we cannot fathom. He endures suffering to a degree that we've never endured. I'm not just talking about the physical aspects of it, but the Father turning his back on him. And he endures all of that without sin and his emotions don't run away with him And go to a place they shouldn't go. He faces it with joy. Where does this come from? Faith in the Father. Dependence upon the Spirit. And so the author of Hebrews says to us. That we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Who is the author and perfecter of faith. Fix them there. Not not just a glance, but fix them there. 
upon Jesus, who is the author, the, the source, the originator, the, the trailblazer, if you will, of faith. He, tra- he blazes the trail of faith in this path of suffering and says, follow me. I'm laying an example for you. But he doesn't just author the faith. He perfects the faith. He completes the course. And he is now in the presence of the Father in a glorified body. He's gone before us and opened a new and living way up before us, the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, and he has completed what every other saint longs to see completed. What those in Hebrews 11 longed for but had not yet received, have not yet received. Look at chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. What is it that they have not received yet that they're waiting on us to receive? There's a glorified body. It's the resurrection of the dead. This glorification of the body, this resurrection of the dead, is what all creation yearns for. Romans 8:13, pardon me, Romans 8:19 says, "For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God." And verses 22 and 23 amplify it a bit more. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, But also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. What's the perfect result of our enduring trials? It's that we will be perfected, completed, lacking nothing, and carried to its furthest end. I believe it's this, the glorification of, The body. The testimony of the saints of Hebrews 11 is that they have enduringly run their race and now they wait for us so that we can all claim the prize, the prize that Jesus himself has already secured. He has sat down, he has a glorified body. And I believe it is this joy that was before Jesus. The joy that strengthened him to endure the cross and despise the shame so that he could complete his run and sit down. It's this joy, the hope of this joy that should draw the believer to put aside every weight that entangles Anything that slows you down, that keeps you from running with all your energy and dependence upon Him. The force of this text, I believe, is this. The command to you and to me is to so fixedly look to Christ Jesus that we are enabled by His strength to pick up our cross daily and to follow Him with joy. To run the race on the course designed by a loving Heavenly Father Run that course with joyful endurance. What are the alternatives? 
To not run with joy is to not meet the trials with faith. To not run with joy robs you of the good of the trial that God intended. To not run with joy robs God of the glory that should have been His had you run the course with joy. To not run with joy is to not meet the trial with faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. To not run with joy is not to profit by learning endurance. And it's not to get the end result, but to be lacking. To not run with joy is to be in danger of throwing away your confidence. It's to shrink back. And that's no way to run. It's to grow weary and lose heart. It's to be paralyzed in disobedience. And so the command comes. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Unbeliever. Really, this is what you must do. You must look past the things you fear losing in the pursuit of a greater joy. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid away. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Some of you are afraid of what you might lose if you follow Christ, but you're forgetting everything that you're going to gain. There will be loss. You cannot come to Jesus with your hands full of this world and of yourself. But oh, what the gain. The gain is so great that Paul considered everything he had lost as dung, as rubbish upon the, the rubbish heap. And he would tell you it's worth it. Jesus is absolutely worth it. If you have never seen this, it's not because it's not true. It's just because you don't see. But you can today, like blind Bartimaeus, cry out to God and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Cry out and cry until he answers you. Some of you in pride have kind of squeaked out the words half-heartedly and said, see, didn't work. He didn't save me, almost daring him to save you. Did, Brian, did blind Bartimaeus whisper or whimper when the people around him told him to be quiet? Did he quieten down? No, but with more boldness, he cried all the louder. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Friends, when you see. When the Holy Spirit has convicted you of sin, showing you yourself, your true state, when he opens your eyes to the true beauty of this Christ, this pearl of great price, nothing else will matter but having him. 
And you will willingly and gladly let go of everything else if you can just have Him. Believer, do you remember coming to Jesus and gladly laying aside everything? Do you remember for love of Him, joyfully surrendering everything that you have and everything that you are? Too often, somewhere along the way, we get the idea that it's okay now to start picking some of that stuff back up. Have some Jesus and some of this. Somewhere along the way, we start to think that we get to claim our rights again and tell God how life should look and how it should go. But where did you learn that you get to tell God that the course he's designed for you is obviously flawed? And if he would just change the course and lay it out better, that you would endure so much better and you would do so well. You would you would grow to maturity so fast. You would be sanctified just just like that, God, if you would get your end together. What brashness. There's only one way forward. There's no other way. And it's by running the course that God himself has designed for you. And by meeting it with faith and joyfully surrendering to it for the glory of God and for your own good. The writer of Hebrews, as he writes here, he's not speaking expressly to the unconverted. He writes to Christians who are in danger of sitting down and quitting, not finishing the race. Are you in danger? Christian, where's your zeal? Where is your holy determination to follow Jesus no matter the cost? The determination that said, though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Where then do you get a faith that endures and that endures with joy? What's well, right here. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. You fix your eyes on the one who's run the course and who for joy endures the cross and despises the shame. And because he's finished the race, he sat down. But even there, he ever lives to intercede for you. He is your advocate with the father and he still is strengthening and enabling you to run this course with patience. And with joy. This is ongoing. You don't master it today and for the rest of your life it's mastered. I'm glad I crossed that off the bucket list. And from now on, I got it whipped. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is a believer. I mean, do you doubt it? He's a believer. He has already been gripped by Jesus Christ. But Paul is not yet perfected. There's ground yet to be taken and a life to be lived in obedience and a race to run with joy. How does he do it? By faith, fixing his eyes on Jesus as he presses forward to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's he doing? He's being a disciple. He is imitating his Lord Jesus. He's following the path that Christ has laid before him. When you look at Christ and you see what he's done, is your heart not stirred to follow in his footsteps? Do you consider him? Then run. Run to him. I cannot run your race. And you cannot run my race. There are times we wish we could, isn't there? We see someone hurting and we think, if I could step in and help them, I would. If I could run a little bit for them, I would. If I could help them carry that load, I would. But you can't. Each of us must fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him. We must run the race that he himself has ordained for us. And there will be cost. Cost in every area of life. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Again, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You have to run the race God sets before you. I have to run the race God sets before me. This running and the cost that comes with it is the pattern of the Christian life that Christ himself has set before us. Is this the pattern that you are following? If it's not, then dear brother, dear sister, I implore you to get along with God and repent. Set aside the, the encumbrances, the, the weights that entangle you and fix your eyes again upon him and follow him. Pursue him. You must keep your eyes fixed upon Christ. This is imperative. You cannot fix your eyes on Jesus and aimlessly drift. There are lots of questions in this life. There's lots of uncertainties. 
But there is this certainty. God is unmovable. And you can fix your eyes on Christ. And he will give you strength to endure. You cannot fix your eyes on Jesus and cowardly avoid the cost. This is not the pattern that Christ has given to us. In Luke chapter 9 verse 5, the Bible says when the days were approaching, the days for his crucifixion. When the days were approaching for his ascension, which would come by way of crucifixion, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Though the disciples urged him not to. He was determined to go. Why? Where does this determination come from? Isaiah 50 verse 7 tells of it and explains. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. Jesus knows what's before him. He doesn't turn aside. He has counted the cost. And so he presses forward. Are you familiar with the game Twister? I may have played it twice as a kid. I can't remember. We don't think we ever owned it, but maybe at someone's house. But it, I mean, even the commercials, if you see the commercials or the front of the box, you know, these people are all contorted, trying to put their hands and feet on the appropriate colors. Some Christians spiritually contort themselves to try to avoid the trials that we're called to. I don't want to do that. And so we twist and contort and arrange and manipulate to try to avoid confrontation or, or tension or whatever the hardship or cost is and still feel like we're where we're supposed to be. We are so tempted to worship at the altar of ease. But Jesus never worshipped at the altar of ease. You cannot follow him and worship there. You cannot fix your eyes on Jesus and casually amble along the race course. I don't know if we have anyone here who's really a competitive runner. Actually, one person used to be. Um, but I, I am not a competitive runner. I've run at times. I'm not a competitive runner. I, I'm enjoying the scenery as I run. I mean, I'm not expecting to cross the finish line first unless everybody else quits. I'm jogging. I'm not running. I'm not racing. I'm just trying to get to the finish line alive, you know. I, that's... But this course that we've been called to run, this spiritual course, we are not in this spiritual course just viewing the sights. We can't casually stroll through the course we're called to run. We can't amble along. We must run with endurance and with determination. For the prize.
even when we're clear about where we should go and what we should do and what we should say. Too often we shuffle along like a tourist, enjoying the view rather than an athlete running the race. But we are not tourists. And we do not have the luxury of window shopping in the city of destruction. Because the Lord of glory, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He served us and He saved us by giving His life a ransom for us. We now belong to Him and He has bought us with a price. And if you've been united to Christ, then you do belong to Him. And if that doesn't stir you, then run back to the cross and look there until it does. Fix your eyes on Him. Till you're ready to follow Him with joy. Joy because you have such a Savior. Joy because He has given you the privilege not only of knowing Him and following Him, but of suffering for Him. The believer is enabled to joyfully endure trials only by fixing his eyes on Jesus. We've been called to do just that. We've been given the example of that. We've been given more than the example. We've been given the Spirit to help us. And we're without excuse. So run with joy. We'll close with a doxology in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. And then we'll be seated for just a moment of silence. Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. Even Jesus our Lord equip you in every good thing to do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.